Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, an estimated 179,000 people in the province live with prediabetes, diabetes, or are undiagnosed with diabetes. Newfoundland and Labrador still tops the list of the highest rates of diabetes in the country, according to a report that came out from the Canadian Diabetes Association. That means about 35% of the population are either living with prediabetes, diabetes, or an undiagnosed case. Now it's Diabetes Awareness Month, so it's important that we address what is diabetes and how can we prevent it? This was an area that I studied for my PhD, so I'm gonna walk you through a little bit of background before we get to our guests. Now in order to remove excess sugar from our blood and store it as energy, the body requires a hormone called insulin that's produced by an organ called the pancreas. Depending on the type of diabetes you have, you either stop producing insulin, as is the case in type 1 diabetes, or you become insensitive to insulin because it's overexposed in the body or you stop producing as much. Now imagine that you walk in a room that smells like paint. Eventually you stop smelling the paint, and that's because our body downregulates to stimulus over time. Well, that's exactly what happens when you have type 2 diabetes. You stop recognizing insulin and it becomes less effective. And that's because your diet or activity levels may contribute to higher levels of sugar in the blood, called blood glucose. This can be due to eating too much sugar, having a poor diet, not expending enough energy, or a combination of both. Also, genetics plays a huge role. There are also some risk factors that put people at significantly higher risk, and we have many of these risk factors in the province. Approximately 67% of adults and 47% of youth are overweight or obese. More than one in five people still smoke cigarettes and half the population are deemed physically inactive and more than 70% don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. So in prep for our conversation with our guest today, let's make sure we understand the types of diabetes, their rates, and a little bit of background on how prevalent these conditions are. Now, roughly 10% of people living with diabetes have what's called type 1 diabetes or insulin-dependent diabetes. Type 1 diabetes generally develops in childhood or adolescence, but can also develop in adulthood. Now, people with type 1 need to inject insulin or use an insulin pump to ensure their bodies have the right amount of insulin to store that sugar in their bloodstream. Type 2 diabetes, on the other hand, is the disease in which the body can't make enough insulin or doesn't properly use insulin. Remember that smelling paint in the room analogy I used previously. Type 2 diabetes is caused by several different risk factors and it constitutes about 90% of the cases of diabetes in Canada. Additionally, people over the age of 40 with a parent or sibling with diabetes are at a higher risk of having this, as does our ethnic background and our genetics because these play a massive factor as well as lifestyle. Now, gestational diabetes is a type of diabetes we won't talk about much today, but it's a type of diabetes that occurs during the second or third trimester of pregnancy. Now, between 3 and 20% of pregnant women will develop gestational diabetes depending on the risk factors. Now, in most cases, women with gestational diabetes didn't have diabetes before the pregnancy. However, after giving birth, the diabetes usually goes away. Now the last condition is called pre-diabetes, and this is a condition where blood sugar levels are higher than normal, but they're not yet high enough to be diagnosed as full type 2 diabetes. Although not everyone with pre-diabetes will develop type 2 diabetes, many will. And that's because if it's left unmanaged, the risk of developing type 2 diabetes will increase. So taking steps to manage your blood sugar can prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. 
And the key here is a healthy lifestyle. So today we're going to talk with registered dietitian Adriana Smallwood, who will walk us through what we should do to ensure we have the right nutrition when facing diabetes. We're then going to be joined by Kevin Peters, who's the founder of Diabetes for a Day, a charity that funds research for type 1 diabetes by helping organizations to participate in their events to live healthy habits and learn the right way to eat and exercise to prevent diabetes. It's a really interesting show, so let's get to it. Hey, Adriana, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back, Mike. Uh, it's so good to see you. Uh, you know, it's uh, you are becoming the trusted source for when we need nutrition advice, especially from a clinical perspective. And today we're talking about diabetes. Now, we know a little bit about the disease, but maybe you could give me a really brief overview of like how nutrition plays a role in it and why we need to talk about it. I think nutrition, particularly, I guess in both types of diabetes, but particularly type two can really impact your blood glucose levels, especially in the beginning when you're not really medicated, like right in the beginning when you have prediabetes or right at the beginning of your diagnosis, you might not need to be medicated. You can completely control it through nutrition. And it's all about balancing out your carb, protein and fat intake. So it can play like a huge role in having highs and lows. And a lot of people come see, you know, us dietitians right at the start because they don't want to be medicated. And that's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. No one wants to go on medication. So being able to control it through diet becomes super important. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we can go through some things and talk about how we can do that. Well, that's right. And you know what else is important, I think, is to establish right off the hop is what's the difference between a dietitian and somebody who's a nutritionist? And how is that important if somebody has a clinical condition? I get this question all the time. Mm -hmm. And nutritionists is not a protected title and a dietitian is a protected title. So what that means a doctor, pharmacist, nurse, these are all protected titles. You know, someone just can't go about calling themselves that. They have to have like a certain level of education. They have to write an exam. They have to do an internship with um, some sort of clinical health authority. In my case, it was Eastern Health. And when a nutritionist, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist where it's not a protected title. And they have their niche too. But when it comes to clinical physicians, someone with a protected title is used to being in a clinical setting and knows how to help you with clinical conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to look for somebody when you have a medical condition I mean, nutritionists are great when it comes to like weight loss and different things like that. But when you have a medical condition, it's really important to find somebody with experience in that field. Agreed. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a really important differentiation. If people are facing a disease, they could potentially have life altering impacts. It is important to get the right advice. And a registered dietitian is somebody who's been trained formally in that. Now we're going to talk about diet and some of the specifics around it, but maybe you could explain how having a poor diet can wear down the body and kind of lead to diabetes. Over time, I mean, there are some people that no matter how well they eat, if they have the genetics there, they're going to get type 2 diabetes, unfortunately, no matter what. But there is a huge impact with diet. And over time, I mean, your body wears down. If you're eating high sugary foods or, you know, you're not having enough protein, you're skipping meals, your weight fluctuates up and down. These types of things over time can really wear down the cells of your body. So the big thing is sugar with diabetes. So what happens over time is our cells, our muscles, these types of things, they can absorb sugar. So we have free floating sugar in our system. It's not supposed to be there. So it can cause damage, causes damage to our circulatory system, our nervous system and our immune system. So, you know, that's why 
you'll find with diabetes, there's so many other conditions that can happen over time. We can have kidney damage, eye damage. You could, you could lose a limb at the end of the day. Like there's some people who have to get their toes, feet, entire legs cut off. So that's why it's very important to do your yearly checkup with your doctor, make sure you're getting your blood glucose tested, make sure you're getting your cholesterol tested. Like all of these things can be an indicator that something's starting to go wrong. So over time, like I said, if you're eating like high sugary foods, they can cause this kind of damage. And that causes your body not to be able to rack the way it's supposed to. So, you know, your pancreas is responsible for creating insulin. And after a time, our insulin isn't as effective. So normally when we eat sugar, our pancreas release insulin, and then that helps our cells, all of our cells uptake the sugar. So it's not in our bloodstream wreaking havoc. But at the end of the day, if you're abusing your body over time, or if the genetics aren't there, your insulin doesn't work as effectively. So your sugar builds up in your system, causing damage. Or the other thing is that your body isn't creating enough insulin to get rid of that sugar. So, you know, there could be two reasons why um, you're, you know, developing diabetes at the end of the day. Well, that's interesting about the sugar and the different uh, types of ailments that can lead to. I've heard that uh, if you leave too much sugar in your blood, then it can bind to hemoglobin rings and make like sugar-coated donuts that are floating around and getting jammed and stuck together in different small veins and arteries. Is that one of the reasons why we start to see these sort of peripheral tissues get a little bit jammed up? Yeah, and it can cause narrowing of the arteries too. So then the narrowing combined with the, you know, higher levels of free floating sugar and fat increases the chance that you're going to get like a blockage or something like that, which could lead to a heart attack or stroke. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because now we have a sugar tax here and there's a tax on alcohol and there's a tax on cigarettes. What it sounds like you're saying is that sugar sort of has the same sort of detrimental impacts on the body if it's overconsumed, just like some of those other substances that are regulated have. Absolutely. I know it's been a little bit of a little bit of a hot topic because you know, we're facing people who love like their drinks and it tends to, it tends to be something important in people who have lower income. But at the end of the day, it's, in, it's better to drink water than something really high in sugar because of this, but for lots of other reasons, but for sure here, because diabetes is so rampant in, in Newfoundland. We're here with registered dietitian Adriana Smallwood from Newfound Balance, talking about proper nutrition for managing and preventing diabetes. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with registered dietitian Adriana Smallwood from Newfound Balance. She's talking about proper nutrition for managing and preventing diabetes. Let's check it out. Okay, so we're understanding the uh, sort of challenges around taking in sugar and the right types of sugar. What foods contain the refined sugars, which aren't so good, and what foods contain the good sugars we need to consume? There's a lot of foods that contain refined sugars and even foods that we would technically think of as healthy, like cereals, breads, different things like that. You have to be really aware of reading food labels. The big thing is cereals. They have a lot of additional sugars. Anything that's considered a beverage, which is why the sugar-sweetened beverage came in, like yogurt drinks, energy drinks, pop, sweets like sugar and like plain sugar, brown sugar, honey, syrup, anything that we would think of, even if it's a natural thing, is still considered a sugar. Mm -hmm. Chips, breads, pretzels, 
crackers, and a big one is starchy vegetables. So a lot of people would think of a vegetable as like a free food. And we do talk about a lot of free foods, but things like sweet potato, potato, and anything that's like pumpkin, squash, these types of things would be really high in carbohydrate, even though they would be considered like a healthy carb and they will mm-hmm. affect your blood glucose levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but in saying that, these are not foods that we want you to avoid because they contain a lot of other things that we would consider healthy that you need in your diet, like fiber, you know, vitamin A, vitamin C, um, all of our fruits and vegetables are really important. So we ask that you don't cut them out of your diet. We just work in a way that you realize how much you need and what would be considered serving size and not really impact your blood glucose levels. That's right. I've, I've heard people talking about, you know, cutting out all carbs, but I mean, you can take in carbs depending on what you're doing at that time. If you're going to go exercise, carbohydrates are important and necessary. If you're going to go through a day and be concentrating at work and need to get through the day, carbs are good. You might just not want to have a ton of them at two o'clock in the morning when you wake up for a midnight snack. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like when you have diabetes, you have an issue regulating your blood sugar. So if you cut out all carbohydrate, you're going to experience lows because your body is not going to be able to adjust the way it would if you had a healthy liver and pancreas. So it's very important to not cut all carbs out, but to have like the specific amount that you need. And we talk about it, you know, like making sure that you're having a good ratio of fiber along with your carbohydrate, your refined sugar, and, you know, evening it out with like a good protein and a fat. Right. So it's not as reactive as it once was. It's sort of like me playing basketball at 43 versus uh, 18. It's a little slower than it once was. Okay. All of these things, it sounds really bad. I'm listing off all these foods and you're like, what? Yeah. I I mean, I can't have a donut anymore. I can't have a muffin. I can't have a cookie. I'm not saying that, but it's really important to know that these are the foods that this is in. And if you talk to somebody like a dietitian or your, your family physician, or, you know, you can work around ways to make it possible to still consume these things, maybe just not as often because diabetes is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. So you don't want to say, okay, I can't have a Tim Hortons donut anymore for the rest of my life, Yes, but it's figuring out, okay, how many calories is in this? What do I have to eat it with? um, So that my blood sugar isn't going to skyrocket and I can enjoy that without having repercussions later. Yeah. Well, I always tell people, it's like, if it's not the best building material, it's good to have good building materials and not so good building materials. If you're building a deck, you have an occasional bad board, but the majority of them are pretty good. And that's the balance people really need to have to build a strong, strong body. So I I agree with that theory too. You got to have treats, but uh, it should be a treat, not a, not a regular occurrence. Now, when people uh, consume excess energy that they don't need, what happens to it? So if you're eating more calories than what your body needs, it'll use it as energy first. And then beside your pancreas, your liver is also super involved with the whole glucose situation. So extra glucose will be um, stored as glycogen in your liver. And that becomes really important during fasting states. So then your body will release that stored glucose, but anything above what your body needs is then going to be stored as fat. So that's why it's really important to watch like your intake. And high fat in your body and uh, excess weight can increase your diabetic symptoms and it can lead to diabetes down the road. So that's why it becomes important to watch it prior to. So, I mean, you know, we're not just talking about people who already have diabetes. You know, it's not like the end goal. It's not something that you're ever going to get. Some people get diagnosed with prediabetes and never develop actual diabetes. You know, if you can, you know, nip it in the bud right now, 
then it's possible that you're never going to get that diagnosis. So that's why it's important to know these things, what the foods are in and watch that. But for people who have diabetes, it's important to make sure so that they don't exacerbate them, their symptoms. So it leads to something bad, like a heart attack or, you know, mm-hmm. getting your big toe topped off. <laughs> and it's true. And I think that we sometimes forget that the human species has been around for a long, long time. And for the vast majority of our existence, we didn't have a surplus of food. So when we had a chance no. to store extra energy to take with us, because that's really what we're doing is we're taking energy with us as part of our body. But we maybe haven't adapted to the fact that we've got this energy rich, abundant food around us all the time right now. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of the reverse of the types of things we would have seen in the past where there wasn't enough food. Absolutely. And I think we have like a very unique environment in Newfoundland because you know, originally we were, you know, our whole tradition was around like salting and sugaring food to preserve it. Mm-hmm. So we have these very high fat or high sugar, high salt diet. And, you know, like I've never, I've never seen that. I mean, I've worked in other places. I've never seen salt beef anywhere else, you know, and we don't even, we're not, we're not even used to it. Like I've seen people put salt on their salt meat and they don't even bat an eye. So it's something that's very ingrained in our culture. So, you know, it's not all of our fault, but having the tools to know like, okay, this is what we have to do. And this is how much we have to use. And this is what we have to look for. I think will help make our decisions a lot better. So I I find that people have blamed themselves a lot, but it's something that's very ingrained in our culture. Just having the tools to make good decisions about our food will help with that for sure. Well, and things have changed a lot since those days too. And, and you know, uh, our activity levels have changed dramatically as well. And we're talking about sugar and energy. These are the things that fuel our bodies when we're being physically active. So how does physical activity play a role with our energy balance and our food intake? You know, it, it plays a huge role. And I usually tell people, like, if they're going to be physically active, to try and make sure they schedule it, over, like, after their meal because your muscles uptake sugar. So if you're being physically active, I mean, the Canadian guidelines, uh, physical activity guidelines, recommend about 150 minutes a week. So that's, like, 30 minutes, five days a week. That's manageable. But if you're, you know, having that physical activity, like, say, after lunch, like, if you're at work and you want to, like, have, like, a little workout or a little walk or around the track or something like that after lunch or like after your supper, it helps your muscles uptake sugar because that's just floating around in your system. Like we were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. So like if your sugar is really high and uh, you have diabetes that can help the muscle, but also it helps your insulin be more effective. So right now, like one of the two reasons in type two diabetes, your body might not responding to the insulin that you have. So exercise really helps with that. So not only does it help decrease the sugar in your system, but it helps, it helps your body be more sensitive to your insulin, I should say. Well, that's so funny you saying that because literally uh, this week we had a case study with our students and we talked about why exercise is so good. And for anybody who's listening, when you contract your muscle, your body doesn't need insulin to uptake that glucose. So what you're doing is you're giving yourself a break, plus you're drawing down your blood sugars. If you did that on a day-to-day basis for a half an hour here and there, what happens is on a daily basis, you're resensitizing your body. You're right. And then it becomes more aware of the insulin in your body. And that's a good point because yeah. like, you know, the again, the Canadian physical activity guidelines say not just like aerobic activity, but you should be doing something that's activating your muscles at least two times a week for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Oh, so ironic. Okay, so then people that are listening, like you go for a walk, you use your lower body, but it the at, at a slow intensity, you don't use as much energy because it's slower. It's like driving on the highway with your car; you don't burn as much gas. But if you're driving down up and down Prescott all day, stop and go, you burn lots of gas. And so the other thing is, if you do calisthenics, like your simple body weight exercises, upper and lower, all your muscles are contracting and they're all sucking in glucose and lowering that blood sugar. So the more muscles you use at the higher intensity, the better. So, you know, if you can check your doctor and get some advice and what's safe, but if you can do that type of stuff, that's a great addition as well. People may not think of. Absolutely. And like one big thing I find too, like for people who have diabetes, they're going to be familiar with A1C. So your A1C is the level of your glucose over three months. It's the average of what your blood sugar has been over the three month period. So that's why it becomes really important for doing things like this. After you have a meal, your glucose can skyrocket. So if you're going to go do some exercise and bring your level down, then that levels out your average. And your A1C is, is huge in everything when it comes to diabetes. And I'm sure people who have diabetes are sick and tired of hearing what their A1C is. But the average that your blood glucose is, that can make a huge difference in the medication you're having, the symptoms you're feeling. And at the end of the day, how prone you are to getting these other diseases that could come like heart disease and things like that. Yeah. And people... It's really important that they understand what all these values mean. They understand what glucose tolerance tests mean and what A1C means. And for me, I always tell people, if your A1C is dropping after three months, we gave you something to do and you come back three months later and your A1C is down, you are on the right track because that's your chronic level of sugar and your body's starting to drop. And that's that means that we're on the right track. We're here with registered dietitian Adriana Smallwood from Newfound Balance, talking about proper nutrition for managing and preventing diabetes. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with registered dietitian Adriana Smallwood from Newfound Balance. She's talking about proper nutrition for managing and preventing diabetes. Let's check it out. Okay, so I'm going to ask another question about nutrition here with we start cutting out sugars, and that's been a part of our diet, for example, then we're eating a little bit less, and we're exercising, how important is protein for, you know, appetite and for and for helping us recover and stuff? So that's another thing, like, we always want to make sure that we're getting a source of protein with every meal that we have. And that's just because protein, it digests slower, like carbohydrate digests very quickly, you know, so after you eat a meal, it can spike your blood glucose, especially if it's if you're just eating sugar alone. So we want to make sure that the meal that we're having is well rounded. So what is the carbohydrate content? So that's where your sugar is coming from. If it's higher in fiber, it's going to be more slower digesting. And if it's got some protein mixed in there, it's going to do the same. So what that means is rather than our food digesting over 15 minute period, it's going to digest over like an hour to two hours, um, which makes it so that our blood sugar isn't skyrocketing. And that's making sure that our body isn't working harder to try and get our blood glucose levels down. So always make sure that you're having a source of protein. So those types of foods are um, meat would be the big obvious one, but eggs, cheese, nuts, seeds, your beans, peas, and lentils for anybody who might be plant-based are just as great. I mean, you look at the, I get a lot of questions about um, plant-based proteins because people are like, well, they're really high in carbohydrate. They're high in carbohydrate, but they're also high in fiber. Mm -hmm. And with diabetes, that's a huge thing because fiber is not digested. So we want to make sure that our carbohydrate levels, when you look at a label, 
it's not just sugar. It's also the content of the fiber in the starch. So if we have a high fiber content, it means that it's not going to impact our blood sugar the same as if it was all just sugar. So making sure that we have fiber and protein along with our meal is going to extremely impact the release of the glucose and insulin and everything like that after the meal is over and over a longer period of time. So it'll help you feel better. It'll help your body work better and make sure that it's not doing more than what it needs to do. That's deadly. I've also heard less legs, the better for protein. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Beans don't have any legs, neither do fish. And those are things that are readily available and, and cost effective. And people are looking for protein sources typically too. You know, if you're dealing with a patient and you're counseling them on nutrition and you've given them some advice, how do you know if they're doing well or not? What are some of the things that people should know or notice about themselves when they start to get the, the benefits of, of your advice? A lot of people will find when their blood sugar is too high and when I say high, it can, it's for the normal blood range. It's usually four to six after we eat a meal, it can go up to from like, we'll say six to eight. Some people they're used to having their blood glucose levels so high in the teens that when they get down around 10, they're experiencing what we would consider like a normal feeling. So what, you know, they're not as tired. You can be lethargic, dizzy, have brain fog. These are the types of things like people are living with and they don't even realize what's going on. You know, a lot of people attribute it to not getting enough sleep, mm -hmm. but these are major symptoms. Some other things are, you can feel like jittery. Some people pee a lot. You know, there's a lot of different symptoms that you can have related to that. But the main one is just like this general feeling of unwellness. So even before you get your blood sugar back, which in the beginning, you'll be getting done every three months. And then after that, it should be yearly. Your A1C, like I said, is the huge one because it shows, you know, the difference. So if that's coming down, that's that's a good indicator that you're doing well. But the general feeling of how you how well you feel like you're not dizzy or tired anymore. You're not thirsty. There's a lot of different symptoms that you could feel, but I would say generally it's just a general unwellness. Mm. Yeah. If your blood sugar is high, it's the opposite of fight or flight. It's rest and digest. So if it's high, your body says time to digest all this food and people I've seen people get really tired after meals, they're diabetic. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I could, I could totally see that. So if their energy level starts coming back, that's a good sign. And of course, look for blood results. Yeah. And a, the, the problem too, is that a low feels very similar. So it's good to know, like, uh, I, I always tell people, okay, you know how a low feels, you know how a high feels, but make sure you test your blood sugar because, you know, if you're feeling tired, really tired, really dizzy, are you having a low or are you having a high? So it's very, very important to make sure that if you're feeling like unwell and you're dizzy and you say, oh, I need to eat something, make sure that you test your blood sugar. And if it's high, then you can't treat like a low. You don't want to have any more sugar. That's going to exacerbate the symptoms. So make sure you know what you're treating before you go to do that. That's an important thing. <laughs> That's true. Yes, exactly. And especially for people that are taking medications that help control that blood sugar. And that's where their physician and a dietitian and the whole allied health team comes in because it takes a village, particularly when you're trying to tackle an issue serious as diabetes. So if somebody wants to get some advice or listening to this and some of this resonated with them, what are some trusted sources people can go to to get advice for eating well if you're diabetic? Uh, diabetes.ca, the like the Diabetes Canadian Diabetes Organization, they have so many wonderful resources. They essentially have a resource for every single thing that we touched on today. Carbohydrate counting, what protein can do, exercise, alcohol, all these different things. 
For our province, we have the Diabetes Center on Majors Path. So anyone that's within that region uh, has access to that. But, you know, we also have the 811 Healthline. And I'm not sure that a lot of people know, like you can call to talk to a nurse, but if you call 811 and check and press two, you can actually Monday to Friday talk to a dietitian. Um, and I've spoken to the dietitian before and they'll send resources. So, you know, say you're in a small community and you're an elderly person, say 70, you're not really familiar with the computer. Um, they will actually mail you the resources as well. So they will make it work for what you can do. So that's a huge thing that we've got. We call it dial of dietitian. So if you don't have access to a dietitian in your community and you don't really know, you know, how to get on the internet, you can mm -hmm. absolutely call 811 and talk to a dietitian. And then we have uh, our local Newfoundland directory. So if you go search dietitians of Newfoundland, it will pull up a directory of all the dietitians that we have working in our province. And, you know, if you don't really necessarily want to go to Majors Path, I mean, that's a free service. Um, there's five or six dietitians down there that deal specifically with diabetes. They also have classes. You can find a private practice dietitian that also deals with diabetes if you don't want to wait or if, you know, for some reason, you just want to deal one-on-one. -on -one. So all that would be in our directory and what people deal with and how to access that. So those would be like the three resources I would say would be the best options to look for. Fantastic. And, you know, I'm obviously a big fan of the work you do. So if somebody wanted to talk to you, how do they get a hold of you? Um, you can find me anywhere. I guess uh, my website is newfoundbalance.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram as the same thing, newfoundbalance.com, where all of my recipes and things are there. And I'm on Facebook as newfoundbalance.com. So you can look me up at any of those three locations. Um, I have email. Um, my phone number is also there for contact. So excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this important topic and sharing all your expertise. I'm sure we'll see you back on the show soon. Thank you. Have a great day. That was registered dietitian Adriana Smallwood from Newfound Balance talking about proper nutrition for managing and preventing diabetes. When we come back, we'll chat with Kevin Peters, who's the founder of Diabetes for a Day, a charity that funds research for type 1 diabetes by helping organizations learn habits to live healthier lives. It's a great story, so be sure to stick around. Welcome back. We're now joined by my friend Kevin Peters, who's the founder of Diabetes for a Day. It's a charity that funds research for type 1 diabetes by helping organizations learn habits to live healthier lives. Now, the inspiration for this charity was based on his daughter's diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. To support her as she adjusted her lifestyle and cope with the condition, Kevin did what she did, and he ended up improving his own health. That experience was an inspiration and led to some amazing charity work, which I can't wait to share with you. Let's check it out. Hey, Kevin, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mike, it's great to be back. It's been too long and uh, very excited to have an opportunity to sit down and chat again. That's right. Well, we had a, a, a brief chat last year, but I wanted to revisit it. It's Diabetes Awareness Month, and you are an executive, but at the same time, you actually have become a really big advocate for diabetes, particularly type 1 diabetes. How did that come about? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I've been in the business community and, and uh, well involved in, in business for uh, a number of years at the senior level. And back in uh, December 1st, 2016, my seven-year-old daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And 
I uh, always thought of myself as somewhat health conscious, not a um, person that was uh, crazy about it. But, you know, I, I learned a few things along the way and certainly with your direction too, back as uh, back in the day when you were a trainer uh, and applied that to my life, but really didn't have a deep understanding of health. And then when your child uh, is, is diagnosed with a chronic disease, suddenly it becomes very, very real, very, very quickly. It's very, very scary. And I've, I knew very little about diabetes. And uh, I, I still think that I, I know very little about it today, quite mm-hmm. truthfully. But I spend a lot of time uh, trying to learn as much as I can about it. But long story short, when Sophia was in the hospital for a little over a week, uh, trying to process what that was like for her, I couldn't figure out how to support her. I couldn't figure out how to deal with this personally as well. I mean, this is your, your baby that is going through a very tough and traumatic time. And so what I decided to do was give myself type one diabetes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. But what I did do is, is say to the nurses and doctors, look, if every time you've got to poke her finger, I want you to poke my finger. Every time you give her a needle, I want you to give me a needle. Of course, no insulin in that needle, mm-hmm. but it was just a way for me to try to get a sense of what she was going through at the same token, give her some support and let her know that we're in this together. And uh, that also applied to the fact that, you know, here's a seven-year-old, we're going into Christmas, is no longer allowed to eat sugar mm-hmm. and uh, very limited on the number of carbs she could do for the day. So I said, well, if you can't eat sugar, then I can't have sugar. And so I adapted that lifestyle uh, of a type one diabetic, which was 15 grams of carbs to two snacks a day and 30 grams of carbs for three meals a day. And that was it. There was no deviation. I didn't cheat. I didn't have so much as a chocolate and something really special happened. And within about two months, and you're talking about a guy here, you know, who's in his forties has had a lifetime of high blood pressure on medication, uh, a little bit overweight, not too much, but within two months, Mike, I dropped 20 pounds. I no longer had high blood pressure and completely off medication energy levels went through the roof, uh, felt better. I was thinking clear. I had more energy and something just clicked and said, there's something to this lifestyle thing. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, my daughter's life depended on her lifestyle mm-hmm. and the light bulb went off for me. It was that, you know what? So does my life. My life depends on my lifestyle. And clearly within a very small window of time and paying attention to what I eat with carbs and drinking more water, going for walks, being cognizant of uh, my health had such a massive improvement in such a short period of time, something started to click here and said, wow, what if everybody had that opportunity to experience what I experienced? Certainly not under the stressful situation of having a child with type 1 diabetes, but just somehow had that awakening and that awareness that those little changes could have a drastic positive impact on your life. And that was really the big eye opener for me. I got involved into really understanding the connection between sugars and and diabetes and carbohydrates and lifestyle. And it just started to snowball from there. Well, that's right. And, you know, ironically, where your daughter had no choice but to follow that, a lot of people that develop type 2 diabetes have the option to be able to apply this, this type of lifestyle, in particular in the early stages of their diagnosis. And they've they can really control diabetes before it gets to a point where like your daughter, they require insulin every single day. And so you took this idea of what it did for you and you realized it'd be beneficial to other folks. And you started uh, a new organization. Tell me about diabetes for a day. Right. So, um, 
you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm certainly uh, not a health practitioner, any stretch of the imagination. So my ability to contribute to finding a cure is not existent on that. But what I felt that I could do was create awareness and connect with people within the business community and also within the community at large to, to tell my story a little bit and maybe encourage people to take a, a more proactive approach to managing their health and their lifestyle. And so in doing that, I also wanted to raise awareness about type 1 diabetes. I wanted to raise funds for research. And it just seemed like a logical marriage at the time is that I'm responsible for 450 people in my organization. And the more research that I did in terms of health within our communities and certainly in our province, uh, I've started to, to uncover some really scary stats. And in Atlantic Canada and certainly in Newfoundland and Labrador in particular, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador is, is the most unhealthiest province in the country. We lead the country in heart disease. We lead it in diabetes. We lead it in certain types of cancer. We're the oldest demographically, which in itself is not a bad thing. But when you're the most unhealthiest and you have the oldest population, it becomes very problematic. We lead the country in obesity and child obesity, which is very concerning as well. And then as you start to dig a little deeper, you, you start to see that these are all connected, right? They're all connected. And type 2 diabetes is becoming the number one issue in our healthcare system. And then I started to look at our own organization and the cost of benefits and our employees and the health of our employees. And as you mentioned, type two diabetes has now become the number one cost in our organization in terms of medication, time off, and other things that lead to that mental health. Um, you know, just so many other complications that that leads into as, you, as you're well aware. So the idea came that, uh, you know what, if I can get more business leaders within the community to become aware, uh, understand my story and understand a little bit more about diabetes and, you know, leading their organizations to a positive health stop. What incredible impact could we have on not only our businesses, but the community at large and our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. You know, our province is, is $3 billion annually goes into healthcare for a population of half a million people. Mm -hmm. It's just not sustainable. And certainly it's not sustainable for our businesses. So that sort of conversation started and, and talked to some other business leaders and said, hey, you know what, Let, let's create a challenge, a challenge that uh, was focused on people living like a type one diabetic, like my daughter, but keeping it simple, drink more water, go for walks, eat, eat healthier foods, um, but not too crazy. You know, you still get to have your drink. You still get to live, still have that piece of cake at the end of the day, um, but just be more aware and uh, so the challenge was for, for three months to challenge 25 p uh, business com community leaders join the program. And we did group workouts together. We did weekly challenges. We did step challenges. We did water drinking challenges. It was very fun. It was very uh, unique. And uh, it was a real sense of community within the business community. So, um, and those that did it, we actually saw people lose weight. They, they felt better. Uh, they then took that to their organizations. We tested blood sugars from our employees, uh, mandated that snacks going forward during meetings are no longer junk food and donuts, but yeah. veggie trays and fruit trays. And so um, it had a real impact on the business. It had an impact on the people that took part in, in the campaign. And it's something that, uh, you know, we're really excited about relaunching again. COVID certainly put a a little bit of a damper on it, but we want to expand it into a hundred companies now. Mm -hmm. And um, so far the response has been exceptional. 
That's right. And I know a lot of the people and the companies that participated, there were some pretty dramatic changes in people's lifestyle and they, that translated and trickled down throughout the organization as well. Um, if a company is listening to this and they think this is something I really want to get involved with, first of all, how do they get involved? How do they contact you? And if they participate, where do the funds go if, they, if, they're, if there's a financial aspect to it? Yeah, there is a donation component to that in, in each participant, which we call champions or the nickname was diabetes. And we have a Facebook page called Diabetes for a Day. There's an opportunity to connect there. Or you can reach me at Kevin Peters at uh, Hickman Automotive Group. Um, I'm, I'm there as well. And in terms of where the money goes, uh, we're completely 100% volunteer. There's no cost associated with our charity. 100% of the proceeds go to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation of Canada, JDRF. And those funds are put towards research to find a cure. So I'm very proud about that. Our, our overhead is very, very low. Uh, rely on um, the goodness of our volunteers and our participants and partners. And we we're very fortunate to have people like yourself who, who kicked off on the launch and, and provided some great guidance. Jim's partnered up and donated their time for the participants. We've had dietitian donate her time on a weekly basis to provide nutritional tips. So it's a really truly a community of businesses and partnerships that all have a vested interest and recognize the importance of what a healthy population can do for for growth and for your business and just for uh, improving the overall performance of our healthcare system. And it's great. And that's why I wanted to be involved as well. And it's because it's for a good cause. It's helping solve a problem. The people that have type one diabetes, the, the young people that are diagnosed, it changes their life. They had no choice about it whatsoever. But the nice thing is you're not only helping those individuals with that, but you're also teaching people how to avoid type two diabetes, which can also be a huge burden on people, especially later on in life. So I think it's fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kevin. No, Mike, it's great. Thank you for having me again. I really appreciate everything that you're doing. You know, you're certainly an ambassador for health, uh, an educator, and I've learned a ton. And I know so many more people have and are going to. And I know you're launching your show coming up next year. I'm so excited for that. I can't wait to see. It's going to be awesome. And so many people are going to benefit from not only being a part of it, but seeing it. And uh, I think really you're going to be a great leader of creating a movement that's going to get this province from the most unhealthiest province in the country to the healthiest province of the country. And uh, so I wish you the best of that, man. Thanks very much. Takes a village, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely does, man. And uh, we've got a good one. Thank you to my guests for joining me today as we talked about diabetes. For those of you that are listening and think you may need a helping hand in managing your diabetes, you can reach out to the Diabetes Center on Majors Path in St. John's at 709-752-3624. And you can easily find them online by searching for Diabetes Center in Newfoundland. They have amazing resources that are available to you that can help you if you have type 1, type 2, or gestational diabetes. Now, if you're looking for one-on-one -on -one support, I highly recommend reaching out to Adriana at Newfound Balance. You can find her at newfoundbalance.com. And last but not least, if you're an organization looking to support a great cause while improving the health of your company, well, consider joining the Diabetes for a Day program. You can find them on Facebook under Diabetes for a Day. We're coming up on the holiday season, so we'll have some health tips to keep you on track as we ramp up for the season so you can maintain your health but still enjoy the holidays. So be sure to tune in for those. Well, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. <laughs>